How many of you knew all those songs? Didn't miss a one? You knew every one of them. Put your hand up. How many? One, two, three, about four of you. How many of you knew them all but one? All but one? Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for singing tonight. All but two? Okay. <laughs> Mark chapter 6 this evening. Mark chapter 6. Last time we did that, I got to lead all those songs, had no voice left, and I got stumped on a song. And you might remember how bad that was, but I, don't, I didn't know that song at all. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, instrumentalists. Let your fingers rest. Mark chapter 6. I'm reading for you the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and went round about the villages, teaching. Let's pray. Ask God to meet with us. Dear Lord, I trust that you were blessed by this time of worship and singing songs. I would ask, Lord, that you would meet with us now. In these few minutes we have left, as we look into your word, I would ask for your spirit to be thick in this place. Help us to believe. Drive away that spirit of unbelief in us. Help us to once again firmly trust you. Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified in and through it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's, here's this passage in a nutshell. Jesus came to his own country loving the people uniquely. He knew many of them. He'd grown up with them. Many of them had come to his carpenter shop. He'd done work for them. Neighbors, they had, they'd given each other meals periodically. Borrowed eggs and sugar. He wanted to come and to be an encouragement to them and, and to share with them who he really was. But they didn't believe him. And because they did not believe him, the true Messiah, the one that could have healed every one of their sicknesses. He had other places. He would have been thrilled to heal every one of them. But they didn't believe. In, uh, in verse 1, he went out from thence and came to his own country. The thence was what we talked about last week. He was with Jairus, the religious leader. He had been in Capernaum, and he came back home to his area of Nazareth there, the place of his upbringing, likely because of his desire to share with them his message. 
These were his people, his kin. Leading up to Jesus' arrival in Nazareth, Jesus turned 30 years of age. He had met John the Baptist, requested to be baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus, shortly thereafter, chose his 12 disciples. Jesus went to a marriage in Cana with his mother. He performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. He went from there with his disciples to Capernaum, which would later become his headquarters. Next, he went over to Passover in Jerusalem, where he drove out the money changers. There he had his evening meeting with a man named Nicodemus. He then, with his disciples, went to Galilee, preaching in the synagogues along the way. They passed through Samaria. And Jesus met a woman there, a woman at a well. And he shared with her living water. Then, then he came home. Then he came back to Nazareth. By that time, his reputation had preceded him. Coming to his homeland, they had heard of what Jesus had done. They'd, turn, they'd heard of this incredible teacher and the miracles that were supposedly done by him, the great crowds that he gathered. And now Jesus is home with them. In verse number 2, when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Where? At home. We would say his home church. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Though Jesus had grown up in this area in Nazareth, he'd been away. His public ministry had primarily been in and around Capernaum. But that reputation had made its way back to Nazareth. Notice many hearing him were astonished. Astonishment is an expression of excitement, of surprise. That which you do after something happens, you didn't expect would happen. You didn't think it would happen. Could I say you didn't believe it would happen? They were astonished because they didn't believe. A magician performs a trick, and if it's a good enough trick, oh, whoa, you gasp. Why? Because you didn't think he could do it. Surprise. With Christ, it was a sign of unbelief on their part. In verse 3, they said, is not this the carpenter? We know this man. We brought our projects to him. Young Jesus had worked on these projects. We brought our kitchen chair to him. He fixed it. Is this not Jesus, the carpenter, the son of Mary? Mentions his brother's names and says his sisters are there. The family of Jesus was all there. We know them all. And it says they were offended at him. The word offended here gives the idea of being displeased or indignant or embarrassed. 
They're embarrassed by this man. One of their own. They're embarrassed by him. He came back after causing all this stir and all the communities around, and now he's showing up here, and he's embarrassing us. Why were they offended? Why were they embarrassed? It's interesting, Jesus' message that he preached in the synagogue is given in much more detail in the book of Luke. He made there his first claim as Messiah. Luke 4, 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness of him, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. He made a claim. Though Mark did not record what he said, because of Mark's perspective of the servant, Luke did. And in Luke we see that what he was doing when he came to the synagogue was presenting him first as the Messiah. I am he. And they were offended. Some of them began whispering in the crowd. Some of them began to remind the crowd that Jesus was simply one of them. We saw him grow up in the carpenter shop. We know his brothers and sisters, they're right here. They had no idea what kind of sham this man was pulling, but they knew they weren't going to be taken in by it. Jesus was introduced in Nazareth to a recurring response. Rejection. In 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, Unto you therefore which believe, he's precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Romans 9.33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They were offended. At him because they did not believe. So why did not Mark's gospel record all of this? This is really fascinating stuff. When you look at the other Gospels, Luke in particular, and you understand the fullness of what Jesus did when he came back to Nazareth and began preaching himself as the Messiah in the synagogue, why didn't Mark talk about all that? Mark saw Jesus as the suffering servant. 
really wouldn't matter what caused the offense. Servants simply cause offenses. <laughs> it wouldn't matter. When no one else can be blamed, blame the servant. It's Jesus. The response was that Jesus repeatedly received was unwarranted and unfair. It was not fair for him to be disbelieved. It was not fair for them to treat him the way they did. But he was a servant, so it was okay. What's the lesson from this, from Mark? From Mark's perspective of looking at Jesus through this big lens of servant, what's the lesson that you and I can take away? <clears throat> We're to be servants. His servants. We have no right, no right to expect fairness. That's not fair, God! Oh. We're servants. In verse number four, that Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And among his own kin and his own house, many did not believe. At the root of the problem, Jesus faced in Nazareth was that same old ugly envy. Envy. The Jews envied him wherever he went. Members of a community do not like to see one of their own put above them, especially one considered of a lower position. One commentary wrote, The men of Nazareth, when they saw Christ eating and drinking and sleeping and working at his trade like others, despised him when he claimed respect and reverence as a prophet, and especially because his relations, according to the flesh, were of a humble condition. They could not imagine or believe that he was born of a virgin and had God alone as his father. We'll see one of our kids graduate from high school and go off to college. Many of you have experienced this. You leave for college. You come back, but you're just back for a brief time during those college days, just for the breaks. So you're primarily really gone, possibly two to five, four or five years. When you come back, oftentimes you try to reestablish yourself, but not as the kid you were when you left. Now you've matured. Now you, now you belong in the adult section. Now you know a lot because you went off to school and now you've had all this training for all these years and so you come back expecting to be treated differently. I know something now, you need to hear me. Man, was I smart when I graduated. Basically, I knew everything. Just ask me, I could have told you. I know so little now. I thought I knew so much then. Um, our kids face a big problem. We see our kids through the lens of the past. And they have a hard time looking past it. Oftentimes, kids have to move away. To break that 
in order to be all that God has for them. Otherwise, you get this, when I remember when you were in the nursery, I used to change your diapers. <laughs> you know, when somebody comes back from school and they've graduated, now they're in their 20s, they don't want to hear about their diapers being changed. Can I just tell you that? Verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work. He could there do no mighty work. Who? Jesus. All-powerful Jesus. He couldn't do any mighty work there. Save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, which was so different from the norm. You know the stories. He would go from place to place and the crowds would throng him and he would heal every sick person that came to him. He had spent all day from early morning to late at night healing people. But not in his homeland, not in Nazareth. Just a few. Does that mean there were only a few sick people there? No, it means most of them stayed sick. How sad. In verse 6, and he marveled. Remember how they were astonished? Now Jesus is astonished. They were astonished at him. Why? Because they didn't believe. Now, interesting, it turns the tables. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. This astonishment, this marveling, this amazement is a sign of unbelief. And here Jesus couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe all that he had to offer them, and they refused to receive it because they would not believe in him. Couldn't believe it. Everywhere else he had gone, throngs of people had come believing in him and receiving the healing power, but not his homeland. From there, Jesus took his preaching to the surrounding villages where he would find people less prejudiced toward his upbringing. Which leads me to ask the question, what can be said about Hope Baptist Church in Loveland, Colorado? As Jesus goes across the world and he visits church after church after church, and amazing things occur, great revivals, people getting right with God, souls getting one, communities being touched. What can be said about our church? He could do there in Nazareth no mighty work because of their unbelief. Let's think of next year at this time, of course, will be in January of 2025. <laughs> Next year at this time, I expect to be sitting on $800,000. Now, not personally, mind you. Or more. That God has provided in and through God's people. All because they simply believed Him. You say, whoa, that's a lot of money. Not to God. 
not to God. I wonder, though, what would be the only reason it would not happen? Do you truly believe that God's able? And with all of the indicators that we have watched God lead, I came here believing this place would be torn down. We have to find property somewhere. I kept hearing people come and say, just don't quit praying that God allows us to stay here. I didn't have the faith to believe that strongly. Because everybody that knew anything, that knew anything at all, said it's going to be torn down. They said, don't quit praying and asking God for us to have this place. They must have been praying. Because they came and said, hey, you want this place? Just pay a little over $2 million. You can have it. <laughs> I wonder what other kind of great acts God wants to do through this church. Does he want this church to be a place where just us can meet and have howdies on a regular basis and slap each other on the back and then go home feeling good about ourselves? You think that's the whole reason God established this church? just for a group of maybe 150 people in this incredible community that surrounds us and the surrounding communities, do you think God singled out 150 people and said, I'm going to put you in a sequestered room and have you there and enjoy each other's fellowship, and that's all you need to do? When uh, he came to Nazareth, he came with all power to do great things. But he couldn't because they didn't believe. What are we willing to believe God for this year? What are you willing to believe God for in your personal life this year? It sounds to me like that obstacle that stands in the way between us and great things is not God. It's our belief. Isn't it interesting <clears throat> that it, it did not, it was not determined upon their skills and abilities? For Nazareth was basically a poor region, a poor town. Nazareth did not have a reputation of the smart minds coming out of it. It did not have a reputation where everybody said, I sure wish I could come from Nazareth. No, it's kind of the kind of the unwanted area there. But God could have done great things through them, not because of their abilities, but because of their faith in God. And he went out from thence and came into his own country. His disciples follow him. They were astonished at him, and they were offended at him. What are you? What are we? Let's trust God for some big things, shall we? Let's trust God that this year we're going to start seeing many, many people come to Christ. 
through us, through our lips, through our heart. Let's start seeing this place once again fill up. As we bring visitors, oh, I was so excited with those that brought visitors this morning. I was so excited, encouraged by that. Who is your one that you're going to reach this year? That one is going to come and visit, get saved, baptized, become a regular attender here at Hope. Who is that one? Who are you trusting God for? Who are you asking God for? Who is that one? How will God use you to be a blessing to him, to us, this year? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience in working with us. Thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering, so desirous of our faith and trust in you, and yet seeing us so often not trust you. Help us to believe. Lord, strengthen our faith. And Lord, I pray that you will indeed do great and mighty things through us, not because of us, but because we believe you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.